Welcome to the Wealthy in Pajamas podcast, where it's not all about the money, but it's not not about the money. I'm your host, Sonia Highfield, the Wealth Expansion Coach, here to help creatives find their real version of wealth, build profitable businesses, and be happy, healthy humans. Hi, everyone. Welcome to today's episode of Wealthy in Pajamas. I am here with the lovely Serena Myers. Serena, thank you so much for being here today. I have been waiting for this for so long. I'm really excited. I'm so happy like, for having me. Yeah, I'm really happy to have you here. And um, I know like we've been in each other's orbit for quite a while. And um, yeah, you've just always been someone that I really admire and like appreciate your work in the world and just how you go about life. So I'm excited for you to share today about like your journey and your your version of wild, weird and wealthy. <laughs> happy to do that and I feel the very same about you thank you thank you so I'm gonna read your bio so people know how awesome you are and then we'll get into our discussion today all right so Serena is a transformational coach ceremonialist and sacred space keeper she supports former good girls and recovering people pleasers to embody their fullest expression and find belonging. Her book, Sacred Anger, helps women worldwide to learn from their anger and express it from a place of power. Ooh, so tell us, what do you do with people? (laughs) What do I do with them? I tend to meet women, typically, um, who are at this crossroads point of their life. There has been something that has come up where they have hit what I like to call like, do we, can we curse on this show? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I like to call this like the, the fuck it moment where that's just like, this is like the breaking point where they decide something needs to change on a really big level. So we can work one-on-one together. We can, um, I also host one-on-one sort of, it's like a VIP day, but it's part coaching, part ceremony. Uh, where they are taken through like the energetics. It's not just the conscious stuff that's working, but also the energetics that needs to be released. And um, and then I have an online community that has just started called the Sacred Soul Sisterhood. So they can be doing that together where it's not just about me supporting them, but about them supporting each other because I think there's a lot of medicine in that as well. Yeah, so beautiful. And tell us a little bit about your background and how you ended up at this point because I know you've done like a lot of angel angel work training and like all kinds of cool things so how did you end up at this point this is kind of the culmination of everything that has ever happened in my life which is really neat so I was a really intuitive kid um I was talking to the dead when I was like 10 or 11 years old and I literally got kicked out of the house for it when I was 12 my stepmom was not a fan and thought I was possessed by the devil So my gifts were shut down for a very long time and I had a really hard time letting them back in. I would work with tarot and that was okay, but everything else was like a big no-no. And then I did, you know, what you're supposed to do. I went to school, I went into corporate uh, and then I got laid off and I got laid off six months into my spiritual path after my first ayahuasca ceremony. Oh, wow. So I knew I didn't want to just like make money. I knew I wanted it to be purposeful. I found myself first working in neurofeedback. So I got to 
work with this fantastic technology that balances and harmonizes brainwave patterns, just very spiritual work, but in a very technological way. And then from there, I started doing my personal study. So I studied aromatherapy. I studied angels, mediumship, Kashuk records, a um, little bit of color stuff. My personal studies have been really deep with crystals because I've been working with them for like 25 years or something. Um, and like I had my first tarot deck in 94. So this is like a long time coming. Yeah. And, you know, I was doing this with people in their brands. We were developing these soul aligned brands. And I had a coach say to me, you know that this isn't like what you're doing for forever. And I could not imagine giving that up at all. Mm-hmm. And until I was ready, which was, you know, kind of healing this idea of helping people in their personal lives. I think working with their businesses was a bit of a scapegoat for me. It was felt safer. And yeah, I got to take everything that I've learned, everything in my personal practice, and then use it to help people in courses and one-on-one and so on. And Oh, and I'm training life coaching as well, of course. Like, I'm certified in that too. So, you know, it was really like, I I think that we are these really dimensional beings. And sometimes, like, the job title can kind of limit how you're able to show up. And I just wanted to bring all of me. Like, I think the more I do the work of accepting all of me, uh, the more I can bring all of me into service. How beautiful. So awesome. I love hearing people's journeys because it's just never linear. And there's so many interesting little, you know, I don't even want to call them detours necessarily, but just pieces of the path that like, I think a lot of times people feel like, I don't know why I'm called to do this thing right now or study this thing. And it doesn't necessarily feel like it makes sense in the moment. But Mm -hmm. eventually you do end up at this place where you're like, oh, this informed this, this informed this. I'm using all of these different kind of tools and, you know, pieces of knowledge now. And it really comes together. I'm just seeing this more and more people who are like so multi-dimensional, multifaceted, just like multi-passionate. And they really get to craft these amazing careers where they can use all of those different pieces and then provide people with something that is like truly so unique and powerful. 100% because especially if you look at something like coaching like you and I do completely different work but we're both coaches you know you need to have your special sauce you need to have the thing that you know makes you it's not even that makes you special because I think we all are special I think it's the thing that allows you to pinpoint how what the magic you bring to the table so that people can find the magic that they need in their life yeah totally totally um Okay, cool. So I want to ask you the question that I ask all of my guests to start off, which is, what does wealth mean to you? So I've been sitting with this. And if you had asked me this question maybe two months ago, I would have had a completely different answer. I would have talked about wealth being freedom and really just the ability to do what you want as you want. And I think that that's really important too. But when I look at the changes that happened in my life, when we had money stuff suddenly arise, um, wealth became an amplification and I guess the privilege of the amplification of who I already am. Mm. So yes, it was the freedom to be able to do things. But what I realized is that it wasn't just about like the travel or investing in the coaches or the whatever. It was things like when my cousin passed away that I could drop everything, go to my hometown for two weeks 
and help my aunt plan a funeral and support her as she was grieving her son. It was when my best friend was having trouble with her pregnancy and I was able to drop everything and go and be in the room with her because her mom couldn't get there in time. She didn't have to go through that by herself. These are things that I know at different times in my life when I've had jobs um, or when I was living paycheck to paycheck with jobs that I wouldn't have had the freedom to be able to do it. My heart would have wanted to and I would have felt guilty for not being able to. And so there is like that degree of freedom in it, but it was not just about the whatever, it was about the things that mattered really important to me. And that was, um, yeah. So wealth for me is like an, is the ability to amplify who you really are. Oh, that just gave me chills as you were talking about that. Um, it's really like, that's such an awesome answer and like great examples. And I feel like I relate to that so much because I think a lot of my money story in terms of um, feeling that gap of like, here's where I want to be and here's where I am is feeling like I haven't been able to be as generous with the people that I care about and the causes I care about and with my partner, with myself. And that was always like a big thing for me is like, I feel like I'm not able to fully like express who I am almost because it feels like there's this financial cap on generosity that I can give. Of course, like, yes, emotionally, we can be very generous, but there's that next level element of like being able to fly somewhere and be in the room with someone or being able to even like send meals, right? When someone mm-hmm. is sick, right? Like feeling like, yeah, amplifying who you are is such a good way to think about it. I think for so many, you know, people that I know who are into this idea, of, you know, like wealth is well-being, it's holistic, it's not just about the money, but it's this idea of like, I want to take care of myself and the people that I care about and the world that I want to see. And that does require money, like to be expressed in the fullest, you know, most abundant way that I really want to express it. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, we are spiritual beings in a capitalistic society. And that's just the, you know, just the way it is, unfortunately. Yeah. And, you know, I think even when we're in a place where all we can give is of ourselves, when we have soul sucking jobs, we then have less to give. It's not even about the money, right? If we are in jobs where we are working all the time or we're running multiple jobs to be able to pay our bills, well, then we don't have the time or the energy to be able to give to people, even with just our energy or our time or our love. So, you know, I think that speaks to that freedom piece as well. It's not just about jet setting. It's about like space, space to be who you are, to show up how, you know, in the way that you want to. And um, yeah, to do that without that cap, like you said. Yeah. Yeah. It's funny. A lot of people have mentioned space when I've asked them this question. And um, yeah, there really is so much power in like in, in having space. Um, and I think a lot of times we don't think about that and we're all, you know, like running around being busy, you know, little humans. And <laughs> space really is like that is such a like piece of wealth, you know. I think it depends on who you are, though, because I don't think I have any more space than I ha- I mean, compared to when I was r- working multiple jobs and whatever. Yes. But I think it's now I'm filling up the space that I do have more intentionally and with the things that actually matter to me because I am wi- I'm as busy as I was before just yeah. doing different things. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But being intentional, being able to choose. Right. Mm-hmm. I think that, that 
the choice is a piece of it for sure. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, we have lots of fun things that we can get into, but um, one thing that I'd love to start with, um, because we both do a lot of work around like soul purpose and listening to your intuition and, you know, honoring who you are and like what you want to amplify about yourself and in the world. Right. So, um, there's one thing that you submitted in your intake form around how being nice goes against living your soul purpose. And so can you talk to us about that? Like, what does that mean? And like why like why is I think for a lot of people are gonna be like, wait, what do you mean? I can't be nice and like live my sole purpose. So like what does that mean? <laughs> so I think being kind and being nice are often used synonymously and they're not. Being kind is loving and uh being gentle with people, being respectful, being mindful of how, how your words might impact that. Being nice is doing all of that at a sacrifice of yourself. So where you are holding back your truth, where you are stifling your own needs where you aren't showing up as your fullest self. Now, you know, when I, like my life, my life coach certification is specifically in purpose and Dharma. And they taught us about all the energetics and all the different ways of looking at it. And I was like, this is great. This does not align with what I believe at all. (laughs) So for me, I believe that our soul's purpose is to come into life and be the fullest expression of ourselves. It's not what job you're going to do. It's not like what connections you're going to have, who you're going to birth or whatever, because those are things that we do to help us experience the fullest version of ourselves. But that's our job in earth school is to just come in, relate, be ourselves. And so when we are in this place where we are holding ourselves back, where we're not saying what we mean, when we are denying ourselves things that we desire, when we are putting other people before ourselves, and I don't mean that on a once in a while thing, because there is a time and a place for that sometimes. I'm saying when this is just your habitual way of living you are then stifling the very thing that your soul came here to do because you're not getting to be the fullest expression of yourself. And also it's not fun. It's like you really do enjoy life more when you're not trying to think about who knows what aspect of you, like where you have to almost wear different personas depending on what circle you're in. I used to have a lot of shame about my pre-spiritual life. Like I had been a mistress. I have been a phone sex operator. I came from crime and poverty and addiction. And there was always this feeling of like, oh God, someone's going to find out. And that shame was really in the driver's seat where I would play different parts of different people so that I could find belonging. But it wasn't true belonging and I couldn't trust the belonging because they weren't actually accepting me. They were accepting the bullshit version of me that I was sharing. And the more healing I've done and the more integrating I've done, where I can own all of that and, you know, the fact that I have a spiritual practice, the fact that I am this transformational teacher and all these things, I can be both. And in fact, this kind of shadowier, like colorful past is what makes me really great because people come to the table with their deepest, darkest secrets. And I'm like, yep, been there, done that. It's okay. <laughs> I totally find all of you and you welcome to the table. Yeah. So, um, so that is where I think it is. Well, we are compromising ourselves we are then working against the whole reason we came into this life in the first place. Yeah. yeah I just, I'm just fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I like long story long, but no, I, I love that. I think that is such a powerful thing for people to hear the difference too, between being nice and being kind. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, like to be able to take a little 
a little audit for yourself and be able to say like, where am I just being nice out of obligation or, you know, like trying to fit in or whatever it is. And like, how's that working for me? How do I actually feel about that? You know, if everyone else around you is having a great time and you are resentful and bitter and hurt that they don't honor you in the same way you honor them, well, then what was the point? Been there, like for sure. Me too. Me too. 100%. Yeah. Yeah. Um, And I love what you said too about, you know, like your purpose here. And I think what I've learned from working um, with the Akashic Records and people and other people's Akashic Records and, you know, people wondering about their purpose here like so often uh what i have you know received through around people's purposes are so like right and then it's not about here you have to do this one kind of job it's like really more around like what's the experience that you're supposed to have here and share with others Mm -hmm. and it can seem so, it really can seem so simplistic, but I think it's also very freeing in that like, oh, there's not just one way to do life or to, you know, live out my purpose besides like starting with the most basic piece of like, I have to be true to me. Mm -hmm. I have to take care of me and honor me and respect me first and foremost. And then I can do a whole bunch of different things and like I can have a whole bunch of cool experiences, but um, yeah, it's like, it's it's so simple what our purpose here is, I think often. And um, it's just so easy in life to get pushed in different directions or to feel, you know, like conditioned or coerced into being a certain kind of person. And I think what I so often see with my clients is they're kind of like, okay, I know I've been kind of crammed into this box or I've put myself in this box. And now I need to figure out how to get out of that box because I know I'm not supposed to be in here. <laughs> yeah. No, 100%. I know the fuck it point, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like, I know that there's something different for me, but now I need to take that journey of like, peeling back the layer to be out of the box, figuring out like, who am I when I'm not just being the person everyone else wants me to be? Mm-hmm. That is actually my favorite part of inner exploration. I think it was the thing that was the most intimidating for me because then if I am not, you know, who I, all the roles I play as a daughter, as a wife, as a mother, as a whatever, if I'm not all of those things, if everything else, if like, like all I have ahead of me is potential, holy shit, that's really big. So it's like, where do you even start? And, um, you know, it was definitely at the beginning of my path, it was very much like, well, I don't know, that feels a bit too big. It feels a bit too much. But I think that when you get into this place of self-trust, when you are willing to explore that giant landscape, just with curiosity, where you don't have to like find your fit, you just want to like taste test and like see how things feel. And, and then you allow your intuition to guide you to the next experience. Like, then you get down at that big open space that this one's really intimidating. It's actually like your playground. It's somewhere to experiment. And it's uh, it's like one of my favorite parts of inner work once we get there. Okay, so I have a question. Um, I would love to hear how you define 
being a spiritual person or what does being spiritual mean to you? Wow. So I think that that's a really personal definition. Uh, For me, it is, um, I am somebody who regularly connects with the divine, um, which I tend to lean into that language because I came from the church. So I don't tend to say God, um, but it can be God. You know, it's a, it's a, it's like I said, it's individual to the person. So it's someone for me. It's it's my relationship with the divine. It is moving through the world mindfully. It is um, my dedication to being the truest version of myself. I feel like that's spiritual. I think also looking at because I'm, you know, you've heard me talk about it before. I'm not part of the high vibe club. I'm very much let's get in the mud. Let's go in the shadows. I'm almost like an excavator, like let's go in and do like an archaeological dig of our of our baggage to be able to find the truth of who we are and to heal the parts that maybe went unseen. So kind of those commitments to my personal truth, my healing and my relationship with the divine, I think that's how I would define my spiritual path or how I show up as a spiritual person. Yeah, that's so beautiful. So um, I just, I wanted to ask that because I... I wrote a post yesterday, actually. Um, I've had a lot coming up. This is a little bit of a detour, but um, I've had a lot coming up for me lately with everything that's going on in the world and specifically the U.S. um, in relation to the trans community and the LGBTQ plus community and a lot of spiritual, quote unquote, spiritual leaders and healers and coaches that are coming out with a lot of hate speech wrapped up in this is the divine feminine. And if you don't exist, then, you know, you're, you're wrong and shouldn't exist. And I wrote this post yesterday, yesterday, that was like, if you're a spiritual leader or guru or whoever you're following is homophobic or transphobic or racist what the heck kind of spiritual theory are they standing on yes 100 i don't understand for me like when i think about being spiritual and i think it's completely separate from religion i think mm-hmm. it is very much your own connection with the divine the universe nature and yourself And the more work I've done on myself and my spiritual journey, the more open-minded and compassionate and willing to hold space for other people who are not like me and who have a different purpose here, I've become. And I mean, I already started pretty, like pretty open-minded to everything, but for me, it just makes no sense whatsoever that you can call yourself any kind of like spiritual leader, teacher, whatever, and tell people that they are wrong for existing, Mm -hmm. how they feel called to exist. I also think that it's pretty fucking arrogant, (laughs) frankly, to define what the divine feminine is for anyone. Uh, My wife is trans. She came out in the middle of the pandemic, the start of the pandemic, actually. We had just had our seven year wedding anniversary and then she had this realization and literally came to her in a dream and 
I think like the big discomfort for me in that because I was already like pretty fluid sexually, like that wasn't as much of an issue, even though I didn't uh, identify as LGBTQ, I obviously was pretty cute. Um, the biggest thing for me was having to confront how much internalized misogyny the patriarchy had planted in me because I judged her leaving the house without brushing her hair or worrying about the state of her eyebrows. I judged the clothes she wore. I judged the way she sat and whatever. And I was like, where the fuck is this coming from? And I was like, oh my God, like this is, this is bullshit hatred that I am holding onto of what it means to be a woman. And once I could see that, and this is the thing, like when we are committed to asking those questions and to like exploring yucky feelings, those are the kinds of things that we can take away from. We realize that it's actually nothing about her, but about my own programming. And my concern about people in any kind of leadership role making these declarations about what is and isn't okay or what is and isn't real, like you are human. You are not divine. You are human. What the fuck do you know? Like we honestly know so little, you know, and I think that's the wisdom is recognizing just how little we actually know, no matter how long we've been on this journey. And like, you know, anytime... Because I, you know, I had lots of prayers and lots of fighting with God when my wife's transition first happened. Because I was like, "What does this mean for me?" And like, like this completely changes our entire life together. And like, but it was, it was not for me to decide how she gets to show up in the world because that would make that's what makes me comfortable, right? And who, and like, you know, what's that joke? You want to make God laugh? Tell him your plans. Like that's kind of the land we end up in, right? Like we don't know what the divine has in store and anytime that we start to like speak on behalf of the divine or like make declarations of what is and isn't that's when we are in our human ego and not in our heart at all yeah because it's not for us to know it's not for us to declare it's not our job ah totally totally yeah i thank you for speaking on that and um sharing that but i get really mad i can get so mad so i'm not just not <laughs> Yeah, I I mean, it's really been just such a crazy thing for me to see so many people just really sharing this hate speech and so many people agreeing with it. And all of these people that claim to be about like empowerment and (laughs) self-love, like I'm like, okay, I don't know what kind of like crazy world you're living in, but that is not like... That's not my reality of like, I don't know, like how, how I think we should share and connect with each other as we're all living on this rock in the middle of space. And I don't know, it's just, it's just mind blowing. So I, yeah, I appreciate you. (laughs) I'm curious to know how they landed there. Like, you know, if, if I think about every spiritual teacher I've ever had, even the ones I don't agree with anymore, like love was always the core message. Self-love, loving others, seeing ourselves, that we are all connected. Like that was always the core message, whether it was in angels, whether it was a classic training, whether it was mediumship or whatever, love was always like the core. And when you start to get into a space of othering people where you're like, oh no, that's not okay. This is okay. I get to decide that's not love anymore. And so how do you still get to be in this place of spiritual teacher when like the one lesson that should be universal isn't? Yeah. Right. It's, it's for some. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
It's for some. Oh, and that's where I get so mad too. Because I know how much time I spent in my life feeling like I wasn't deserving of these different experiences. I didn't feel like I could even call myself a spiritual person. I was just someone who went to ayahuasca ceremony several times a year. Like it really took a lot for me to be able to own that as the way I was showing up in the world, even though it was my truth, because I had an idea in my head that I had to look a certain way. I had to live a certain way. I have a certain job at that time. Like I was eating meat. I felt like I needed to be a vegan. Like I really had this, I, this othering of like what it meant and it was always unattainable to me. And, you know, I feel like we have a responsibility as teachers to normalize the whole spectrum of what it means, of what it looks like, of, um, of how the teachings can come up because we want to make sure that it is accessible to more people so that they're not thinking this isn't for me. Yeah. We should always feel included. We should always feel like there's a space for us on, you know, like for, for how we live our life. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. And so I would love for you to speak a bit about your work with sacred anger. And um, yeah, you talk, talk about your book, wh- whatever you want to get into, but I'd love for you to share about your, your theory, your philosophy, your work around that topic. Yeah. So <laughs> I'm in 2017, I had this falling out with my family and it was just like the most ridiculous thing, but one of those like straw that broke the camel's back things. And I started writing a book about anger and I didn't know really exactly what it was about, but I knew that I was pissed off and I had something to say about it. And there was a part of it when I looked back at it, um, there was a part of it that was like a little bit venti a little bit about like this was an outlet it wasn't actually supposed to be for public consumption those parts got edited out before the book got published uh and i had a little part of me that was like well if people don't want me to write shitty things about them then they shouldn't have behaved shittily like this is sort of how i went into the idea uh which good to ask the questions but like that's not going to help anybody and at the start of the pandemic i started writing a completely different book on shelved sacred anger didn't want to touch it um because it felt gross, like it felt heavy and hard. And because it was, I was, it was emotional diarrhea, basically written on a page. And uh, at the start of the pandemic, I started writing this other book and everything was happening with the US election and a lot of anger was coming up. And there was just this knowing that I had to dust it off the shelf. And so I pulled back out and sat with this book and like sifted through what was in there that was actually usable and wasn't just therapy for me. And I started realizing just how much anger had been teaching me over the years um, about how, and this kind of goes back to that nice people-pleasing part too, that allowing myself to have it be messy and ugly and be expressed was really liberating. And that it was showing me the things that mattered to me. It showed me the ways I compromised myself or where I didn't honor my boundaries or like all the things that I did that pissed me off and made me resentful and bitter. I was like, I'm bitterness is not my natural state. And if anger was what was getting me there, it was like, okay, well, then like, well, what do we got to do about the anger? And the more I started working with it, and I think this was also like part of my shadow work and a lot of my Akashic healing, like there's a lot of work happening at the same time, right? The more I started realizing that we can actually develop a strategy where we like recognize, first of all, that we're angry because sometimes it's disguised as other emotions. Then we can give ourselves the space to just feel it. Let it be ugly. Don't try to contain it. Don't try to control it. And certainly don't try to bypass it and stop it in the middle of your anger and go, what's the lesson I'm trying to get from this? No, let it get ugly because you can't get the lesson until you actually embody the emotion. Then once you've done that, you can go, okay, that was big. 
Now what? And that's when we start to almost do like this autopsy of the experience that we know, okay, these were the, these were the lessons that were within that. But we can't, like, I think spiritual people don't want to get in the, the gunk of gross emotions like anger. It's tough. That's it's, tough. it's hard. Yeah. And it's not fun. And it's exhausting. And like, we want to be high vibe and we worry that being in that space is going to take away from our manifestations or are attracting good things or whatever, right? So we want to bypass it. But if we bypass it, guess what? Lesson comes back because we didn't learn it. Our soul came here to learn these experiences. Anger is a human emotion that is going to show up for us. And every time we cut across and we go right to the lesson because we don't want to actually let ourselves feel it, we have to start the cycle over again. So yeah, that was my that's kind of like my ultimate thing is that it is a really sacred teacher if we're willing to listen to it. And we also need to have strategies so that we can create the space to feel it so that we actually understand what the lessons are. And then we have some tools that we can move it because oftentimes it's like, okay, I'll let myself feel it. And then you're just stuck with this like low vibe, heavy feeling that you don't really know what to do with after and it weighs you down. But if you have these other strategies or ceremonies or practices or whatever, um then you you can get on with the business of living your life without being held back by it but it's i think the first thing is just like the willingness to actually feel it is the probably the hardest part and everything else starts to get a little bit easier after that yeah i mean i've definitely gotten stuck without myself too and i think it's one thing to like make space to be like okay i'm gonna go like be angry in my room and i'm gonna let it all out but then actually knowing like well, okay, what do I do once I'm here? And what am I um what am I doing to kind of like move through this and and honor it and understand it? So what are some of the tools that you love to use when you're like navigating your your anger? So I'm someone who needs to have a lot of tools because in the moment one thing will work and one thing won't, and that one thing that won't would have worked last time, but not this time. So I need a lot of things. Um, I like to scream into a pillow. When I was a kid, I used to, in class, I used to tear paper. That was like my big thing. Now I tear paper and I sit down on fire because fire is like a big transmitter for me. Um, I, I work with like Palo Santo and Buffalo Sage and uh, different tobacco blends that are really cleansing that have been gifted to me. Um, I drum. Drum, I've been noticing, I used to use it for anger. It seems to, since my cousin passed last year, my drum has been hijacked for grief. I use it for anger and then grief just comes out. So it was a tool, but now I think it's less of one now. Um, I, if it's tied to someone else, I do a lot of cord cutting and clearing and I'll work with the angels. And when I am really dug in, because sometimes my anger is very self-righteous, really, really, like it's probably my ugliest trait. When I am deep in self-righteous energy, then I don't actually try to move it. What I do is I pray for the willingness to not be angry anymore. And sometimes that ends up having to be the prayer for a while. And then it shifts. It's, It's almost like an egg that cracks. And then I can use the tools to like open the rest of it. But like I need to crack it first. And when I'm really dug in and stubborn, I can't, but the willingness will eventually crack it. And then I can use one of those 800 million other things. I think it's like chapter nine in the book is just tools of ways to be able to clear it. It was like, I'm like, okay, what do I know? Let's put it all in the book. Let's make sure there's something here for everybody. Because 
you know, for some people, some people are going to go for a run. I'm not going to go for a run. Like that is not, that does not help me. That makes me angrier, you know, but some people, that's their thing, right? And so I want to make sure that people have like a whole like buffet of tools and then they can pick and choose the ones that might resonate for them. Yes. Okay. I love that. We'll make sure to link people so that they can buy your book and chapter nine. Okay, get all the tools, get all the information. Um, I think it's such a powerful practice. And um, there's a woman um, who's, I don't know if it's just in the last year or so, but um, she started holding these like sacred scream events. Ooh. Um, she goes by Tina Eloise. And um, I did one of her virtual events and it was so awesome just being, you know, led through this basically like anger ceremony, rage mm-hmm. ceremony. And um, it was great. And there was things in there that like, I don't think I would have got to if I was just doing it on my own, because it's really easy to go like one layer down and then kind of be like, okay, I think that's enough. You know, like order experience it from the head up instead of letting it be in the rest of the body. Yeah, the full body, like we were on that floor, like, and you know, I was in my own space. And so that's also um, so helpful too, because it, it can be really vulnerable when you're like screaming and yelling and moving and it's so ugly. Like it's wherever how conditioned we are to like look nice and be nice and be pretty and whatever. It is so ugly. And you know, that's like, that's the beauty of it. Like it, yeah, yeah. And just like go into beast mode and it's like, it's very primal. Primal is the exact word I was going to use. I have this aspect of me <clears throat> that I lovingly refer to as ghetto girl because she developed in me when I was living in the ghetto. And um, she is fierce. Uh, she used to be really scary. And when she would come out, it was usually when I had been a doormat and my stuff kept getting like walked on. And then I would hit my breaking point. And I would, I was never at somebody, but it would be like this full body. I feel like a tantrum almost diminishes it, but it was like that deep of an expression where I remember like pounding on the floor and like screaming and just being in her where it felt like someone had taken over my body, but I was so conscious of what would happen. And after she would pass, it was almost like a hangover. I was just like, what the fuck? Where did that come from? And then I started to recognize that she was stepping in when I wasn't stepping up. And the more work I do on my boundaries and on expressing what I mean in the moment instead of like biting my tongue and dealing with it later, uh, the less she shows up. And even last weekend in ceremony, I actually met her, uh, the guides explained it to me as her counterbalance because there is a part of me that developed a couple of years after her that was a bit of a doormat, who was very accommodating, who wanted to be loved so badly that she just sacrificed everything. And this is me at about like 15, 16, whereas Ghetto Girl developed when I was like 12, 13-ish. So it was really interesting to sit in her energy last weekend and be like, okay, so this is the next level. Like the part of me that was too nice, that was too accommodating, that was self-sacrificing. Like that's the part that I need to integrate and heal because there's some self-forgiveness that has to happen in that space. Because the part of me wants you to shake her and then I have to remember compassion and be like, she did the best she could. That's what she had available to her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the, the inner work is just never ending. <laughs> it's just, 
There's always no one tells you that. When you first go to like your first spiritual retreat or whatever, no one says, oh, P.S., you're going to be doing this for the rest of your life, FYI. Like, forever. <laughs> and it gets better and you bounce back. You're like, we are recovering faster. But it is literally forever. Yeah. No, I, I think that's so true. It's your like turnaround time. Um, but yeah, the work, the work is always, it's always there, always ongoing. Yeah. Um, okay. So before we start to wrap up, I would love to hear you tell your story about how you woke up a millionaire. Yeah. Because <laughs> we, we are on the Wealthy in Pajamas podcast. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, so like a lot of times I really don't get into a lot of money stuff, but I think that this story is going to be interesting for our listeners. And also, um, you know, it is like an important piece of your own financial journey, right? So your own wealth journey. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, tell us how one day you woke up a million. So it was August of 2021. And at the start of the month, I was in a money program that was talking a lot about, um, I think the second week was something around, it was like our relationship with money. And I healed, well, at first I had to have the awareness uh, but I healed and forgave the part of me that used my body as currency was the language. And I didn't actually prostitute myself, but just different ways that that we compromise ourselves for different comforts and whatever. It was the one thing that even though I had been on my spiritual path for I don't know how long at that point, I didn't I hadn't seen it. And it was a really deep healing. This was the like end of July, beginning of August. And then August 8th was a Lionsgate portal. And I did this really beautiful ritual that I think I saw, I think it was on TikTok or something. And I thought, well, whatever, like, this would be fun. Let's just play. And my wife had had some stuff that was going on at work that had the potential to make us millionaires. And I kind of thought that that's how it was going to happen. Like, if it was going to happen, this whole thing was going to blow up. If it's going to be beautiful, we were going to buy a house, whatever, whatever. And then it wasn't happening. But... Uh, my wife's an NFT artist and she's like one of the original NFT artists. She's in like textbooks and stuff like she's OG. Um, and in the beginning, when they would create these batches, they would trade amongst each other. Or if you bought this one and they would give you like bonus NFTs and whatever. So we had a whole bunch of NFTs that were literally just sitting around doing nothing. And uh, one of them started to get really, one style started getting really popular. And we were like, oh, yeah, ha, 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 we should sell that. And we made up a pie in the sky number. We chose it. I don't remember what the price was, but it was, we used an angel number. And um, at the time, um, Ether was around 4,000, 4,500 or something each. And so we just put up this bullshit number and then went to bed. And we figured like, ha, 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 wouldn't that be funny? And then we woke up and I went, I'm, I wake up before my wife. I went about my day and then she kind of came into the office and she was like, um, I think, I think something sold last night. Cause we put a few different things for sale. So I think something sold last night. And then I was like, oh, well, what was it? And she said, I think, I think the autoglyph sold. And I like did a double take and I'm like, I'm sorry. I, does that, does that mean we're millionaires? And she's like, well, it sold for two. So technically we're multimillionaires. And I was like, 
And the rest of the day, I think I whispered. I'm a very loud person. And then I was like, hey, I can't tell anybody, but it's like, I have to tell somebody. So I called my sister and I literally like put the phone up to my face. And I was like, and she's like, what? I'm like, it's a secret. We became millionaires. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> and, you know, it was just this like really remarkable, amazing thing. And it was also really scary. Like I was afraid to tell certain family members. Um, even when we bought our house, um, my own mom was like, hey, can I, you know, can I see the listing? Can I send you, can you show me the pictures? And I, I screenshot the pictures. I wouldn't send her the listing because I didn't want her to know we were buying a house for a million dollars. And even when we bought it, I think she assumed we got a mortgage and said, let's go buy the house for cash. But we did. And that was weird. Um, it was, it was, I, I don't even really, I have nothing eloquent to say about it because it was funny and unlikely and life-changing in many ways because of all the things I had told myself that money was the blocker. Money was the blocker for getting certain supports of all these different things. If only I had money, X, Y, Z would be better. And the funny thing is that some things did not get better. Like, you know, we bought this house. We could not get a landscaper to save our lives. So I had this brand new house with concrete for my front yard was just like concrete. And the backyard was like overrun bushes and we couldn't get, because it was too narrow to get like diggers on the side. It took, fuck, I swear to God, it was like nine months or something before we actually had a yard put in. It was ridiculous. We paid for this beautiful speck of a fire pit. We basically got something you find in a campsite instead of it being this like luxury built in whatever. So it was like, even having money doesn't address if you've got issues around worthiness, if you have trouble receiving, if you don't believe that you're actually going to get help and you have to do it all by yourself, you are going to find opportunities to experience that money in your bank or not. So for all the things that it afforded me, uh, the life lessons were exactly the same. <laughs> exactly the same. Just with a higher price tag. That is so wild. That's such an amazing story. And like, it's such a modern story, right? Where like... <laughs> It was crypto. Look at that. Like, is crypto even real? But yeah, it is. So, um, I that's so crazy. And so, for you personally, like, yeah, were there any other like major kind of like money mindset things that either shifted for you or that you were kind of like, oh, I actually feel the same way. Like the the money didn't actually change, like change how I feel. So I think because the money happened during the pandemic, it happened about a year after my wife's transition, like maybe like a year and two months or something. I was already in a bit of a shook space about how things, how I wanted things to be, who I wanted to be. Like, I think the pandemic gave us all the opportunity to ask those questions. I think if it had happened in a place where I was really grounded and settled, it probably would have gone right to that amplification piece. But if anything, you know, when we talked at the beginning of the conversation about that big open field of like, okay, if you're not the roles you play, all of this is available to you, it made that field a lot bigger. Mm. And that put me in a bit of a tailspin for a while. And that had nothing even to do about my beliefs about money, but about my my beliefs about who I was, because I was really questioning that given that my relationship had changed and we moved to a new city and the pandemic had me in locked up in the house and all these different things. Yeah. 
The thing I think that was really big for me had nothing to do with becoming a millionaire, but it was the work I did before that. And that was playing the prosperity game. That is um, an Abraham Hicks thing where every day you get like a fake amount of money that you have to spend. And there was something about doing it, particularly when you're getting into like the days where, hey, you've got $10,000 to spend today. Like, what are you going to do? Hey, you've got $100,000 to spend today. You have to use spend at night. What are you going to do? And I think being in that space of being able to think, because eventually you don't need 800 houses. You don't need, you know, a, a personal yacht. You, like, it stops being about the things and it starts being about like, hey, well, what are the supports I would want to call in? And um, how would I want to support other people? What charities do I want to donate to? Like my first Christmas in this city, uh, my realtor and I, because we were friends, we went on like a buying spree and we made all these gift bags and we brought them. We have like a homeless camp in our city for people who are unhoused. And we were able to put in like warm socks and gloves and toques and um, different like packaged foods and cutlery for them to be able to eat it. All these things. We just did that like out of our own pockets. And like, I wouldn't have been able to drop hundreds of dollars to be able to make that happen before, but I could because now I was in this space. So that's where that amplification of who you are. But you have to get in the headspace, first of all, of thinking like, if everything is an option, whether it's about how you spend your money or about who you are and how you show up in the world, what do you do? And that's, that's the the dreaming space that a lot of people are afraid to even allow themselves to open up to. I certainly was. But the more you can start thinking about that, if everything was an option, what do I do? Because what I noticed with the prosperity game and what I noticed with ultimately after the money came in was that the things that I chose were upgraded versions of the life I had been living. And that was so validating that I was living, you know, like the the smaller means version of these big lofty dreams, but that still felt really good because that told me that I was in alignment. And then we just got to do that on a bigger scale. So awesome. Oh my goodness. Well, I think that's such a perfect place to kind of wrap is that question of if everything's an option for you everything's a possibility for you like what do you really want who do you really want to be how do you want to move through the world what supports do you need what supports do you need everyone go grab your journals hit pause rewind listen to that again um that's such a beautiful place to just a beautiful, beautiful questions to have us go say to start, to end, whatever, wherever we're at, wherever we've caught you on your journey. Um, if you can pause and play with that and allow yourself a little space to dream and imagine and, you know, just get into that realm of possibility. Mm-hmm. Because I think from there, then you start to see like, oh, the next steps or who you might want to connect to, right? Because it's not that you have to do everything, you know, the next day or everything's going to come to you overnight. But it's like when you allow yourself to just play with the expanse mm-hmm. what could be for you and what you truly desire, it's like the blueprint starts to form of how to get there, how to be that. Right. And I think it's asking coming back to the questions too, asking them more than once. Like maybe you revisit this every three, six, nine months, whatever. Or maybe it's on New Year's every year you ask yourself these questions. Uh, and allowing the answer to be different because it's not about being better or worse before or after. It's just the evolution of what you need in that moment and allowing yourself to need something different, to want to be something different. 
the more healing you do, the more you know about yourself, that's going to express itself in different ways with different desires. And giving ourselves permission to allow the dream to change too is really big. We have to not just ask the questions, but ask them again and again throughout our life. Yes, such a good point. Allow the dream to evolve. I love it. Um, Okay, Sarita, I'm going to ask you to put your ears on. But you're put so if you're listening on just a podcast, Serena's wearing adorable red and white polka dot Minnie Mouse uh, pajamas with the big Minnie Mouse ears and a bow on top. So now she's got her ears on. And will you tell people um, where they can find you and um, if there's any you know offer service that you want to highlight and share with everyone? Absolutely. So I'm on most social media channels at, at Serena Myers. So that's kind of like an easy blanket one. Um, I also have, if you're on this journey of trying to figure out who you are in new ways, um, the thing that I like to focus on is who are you in community? And I have this really beautiful quiz that will help you identify what your community keeper role is. And then from there, you find your archetype. So if you head to my website, serena.ca slash community dash quiz, uh, that will take you through a really short quiz that will ultimately lead you, hopefully, into my new virtual world called the Sacred Soul Sisterhood, which is a space where you get to embody your true archetype and experiment and practice and flex the muscle of being seen in your truth, particularly if you don't have the opportunity to do that in your day-to-day life. So beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing. We'll make sure we link to everything and Highly recommend um, following Serena, getting into her world. Um, as as you all now know, she is just an absolutely lovely human and um, really someone who is very in integrity, like very ethical. Um, someone, again, that I just have followed for years and really respect. So um, that's my... <laughs> that's my uh vouching for <laughs> thank you <laughs> um in my ears thank you yes so thank you so much for being here and just walking us through your story and sharing some of your wisdom it was such a good conversation i loved it i loved every single minute thanks for having me yeah you're so welcome and we will see you all on the next one make sure to call us serena and Uh, connect with Wealthy in Pajamas on all the places. And I'll see you all next time. Bye. Hey, all. Thank you so much for tuning in today. It would mean the world to me if you could subscribe, share, and leave a review so more people can learn about this work and access their true wealth. And if you'd like to continue your wealth work, please pop onto my email list so you can choose your own wealth adventure, whether that's applying for one-to-one coaching, accessing my DIY content, or staying tuned for upcoming wealth boosting programs. You can find all that at the following link, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y slash wealthy PJs, P-J-S bit.ly slash wealthy pjs join me there and let's get wealthy